I had the pleasure of speaking with Terry Green on his Get an Air podcast that will be airing, <laughs> get it, uh, soon. And he is fond of referring to the smooth, buttery quality of my voice. I've elsewhere heard it referred to as smooth bourbon before bed. I'd think it's nonsense, and I hate hearing my own voice as much as the next person probably hates hearing theirs, but sure, I thought, let's, uh, let's run with that. So on today's episode, I want to share with you my process, my gear, my environment, uh, and let you know how you, too, can achieve the same for not a whole lot of money. Enjoy. I'm Dr. Ryan Strait, Assistant Professor of Educational Technology at the University of Arizona, and this is The New Professor. start off sounding like this. You can just listen to the intro bumper. Is that the right word, bumper? The intro. To hear the change in quality, because I recorded that on the same day that I recorded my very first episode. So here, I'll play a little clip from that now. So what can you expect of this in the future? Well, like I mentioned, a weekly podcast with varying disparate topics surrounding generally the theme of teaching on the forefront of the quote-unquote, new higher education. It's a big difference, huh? Now, part of that is just confidence, I guess. Feeling comfortable speaking into a microphone in a studio-ish setting, as opposed to being in, like, synchronous live meetings or class or webinar, that kind of thing. It's a different kind of experience and a different skill set, really. I know people that are absolutely terrified of public speaking, as it were, but have no problem narrating into a microphone. Both, again, are skills that take time to hone for most people, but it can be done. When I recorded that clip that I played for you, I was using a blue Yeti microphone plugged straight into the USB port in my computer. In a completely untreated room, and as you can tell, I'm somewhat embarrassed about it now that I listen to it again, but I processed the snot out of it. It just doesn't sound natural or quote-unquote buttery. And I do plan on re-recording that over the summer, maybe changing up the intro music and whatnot too, we'll, we'll see. But anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. The point is that when I did that, I didn't really have any idea what I was doing. I just, I had some idea from watching YouTube videos, and as I was using Adobe Audition, like I am now, having experience with the Adobe Suite was useful, but, you know, the learning curve wasn't that steep, but still, it's just not very good, especially when bookended by, you know, what I'm recording now. And before I get into the hardware demonstration portion of this episode, I just really wanted to put that out there and make it plain. If you want to start down a road like this one, it doesn't really matter 
what you're driving or how fast you're going when you start. What matters is that you actually go. You can always upgrade later. Keeping in mind that in the world of podcasting and home voiceover, which you may end up dabbling with, maybe, there is, there's less overkill and more you can grow into it. Microphones, for example. I'm glad I started with a Blue Yeti because it gave me time to learn what's flattering for my own voice and what I wanted to do with it at the next step up. Even though I did definitely outgrow the microphone pretty quickly, though that has more to do with the hardware of the microphone and its limitations based on me wanting to expand my setup rather than the actual, like, specs of the microphone. So I'm going to share with you the completely unprocessed, raw recording from a few different mics that I've used, all in the exact same partly treated environment. I I moved my computer in the closet, Uh, I put up a homemade acoustic panel, and I'll share the plans for that in the show notes, and if you have a circular saw, you can bust one of these out in no time. But since I can't record everything at once because of hardware limitations, I am going to have to do these in several takes, as opposed to the kind of... Did you hear that? That was an airplane. That's the fun of having a home studio. (laughs) I am going to have to do this in several takes, as opposed to the kind of on-the-fly switcheroo done by Mike Delgadio over at Booth Junkie. Uh, I will, however, do the same kind of tests that you would hear on, say, podcastage. So, you know, some proximity and distance stuff. Uh, The microphones I'm going to be testing are, and remember, these are just straight recordings, no treatment at all are the built-in microphone on my Dell XPS laptop, an Audio-Technica 2100 USB mic plugged directly into the USB port in my computer, a Blue Yeti also plugged in directly via USB, and the microphone I'm on now, the Rode NT1, plugged in via USB through a 48-volt phantom power supply, and I'll explain that bit in a bit. Just, it's necessary to do, just trust me. Everything is recorded with the same wave file settings, which I'll put in the show notes, and the same microphone level within Windows 10. I didn't change anything. So, here we go. Alright, so this is the laptop microphone. Uh, it's Windows 10. I can't really do a proximity check on this one because it's just two little dots at the bottom of the laptop. Um, I can get pretty close to it, I can get pretty far away from it, and you can hear the difference there. This is me within about a foot. Um, Yeah. Check, check. Alright, so this is with the Audio-Technica 2100 USB dynamic microphone. This is the kind of microphone that you see people using uh, when they're singing karaoke, basically. Uh, It's plugged directly into USB. Uh, There is no gain or anything on it. This is just straight plugged into the computer. Uh, So this is me right up on the microphone. This is me about a foot away from the microphone, about three feet away from the microphone, over off to the left, over off to the right, and right back in front of it. So this is a, a good, quiet, dynamic microphone. 
Um, it does have an XLR port in it, so it's not just USB, but I just wanted to keep everything kind of, you know, standard. All right, so this is the Blue Yeti. Uh, this is, you can tell it's a lot louder. Uh, the Blue Yeti is a USB microphone that has its own gain knob on it, so it's boosting the volume within the microphone itself before it gets to the computer. Um, pretty low noise floor. I don't know if you can hear anything hiss-wise. Not bad, but um, you can tell it does sound a lot different. So this is me right up on the microphone. Here's me about a foot away from the microphone and about three feet away from the microphone. Now this is with a cardioid pattern. So as I go off to the left, you should hear a marked drop in volume. And then as I move back over to the right, you should again hear a marked drop in volume. So uh, this is not on a shock mount or anything. It's just straight plugged into the computer. Uh, and I'm not going to do anything to this except uh, throw it over into the final audio. So yeah, USB. Uh, Blue Yeti USB. One thing you probably will notice is that uh, this is, it doesn't have a, a lot of noise in the background, but there is a lot of electrical hiss. That's just, that's the USB. You know, that's what you get when you introduce electricity into, into these microphones. So that, that kind of whining that you hear in the background, that's what that is. Okay, so those are the options that we have, uh, at least as far as like straight to USB goes. And remember when I said I explained the phantom power thing? Well, the NT1 mic, the one that I'm using right now, is a what's called a condenser microphone. And because of that, unlike USB-powered mics, it needs what's called phantom power, and that comes at 48 volts. Condenser microphones are, generally speaking, or maybe always, I'm not really sure, uh, more sensitive because of this, and for various other reasons, but point being, you can't just plug a condenser microphone directly into your computer and go. There always needs to be some kind of intermediate step. You know, this could be a simple power supply like I was using just now, which literally is nothing but a brick that you plug in and you have an input and an output, and it just gives the microphone power. Or could be a dedicated external sound card, often called a DAW or Digital Audio Workstation, which Basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a sound card on the outside of your computer. Or a mixer that includes phantom power, like I have in my setup that I don't actually use now. Um, or like I use just now, just a dedicated little 48-volt preamplifier just for this. That said, if you're just using that, it is XLR only, and it has to go back to another thing. Anyway, we'll get to that in a bit. Speaking of the hardware stuff, let's let's move on to the other hardware that is now in the mix that you're hearing. So I'm going to turn everything off except for the preamp and then kind of turn them back on as we go along. Okay, And that's all I'm doing. Okay, so what you hear at this point is nothing but the preamp. Okay, Untreated, unfiltered, just the preamplifier. This is a Behringer Ultra Gain Pro. And right now it's basically just providing the juice and sending the signal to the mixer that's then sending it uh, to the recording. And you can hear it's loud and it's very sensitive. And if I need to in post, I will go back and make this quieter so it doesn't blow your speakers. Um, 
there's no EQ being done on the mixer, there's no compression, it's pure signal. Um, and this is all going straight to the computer via USB through the mixer, uh, just to keep everything standard across all the different tests. And I am actually speaking a lot quieter now than I did a little bit ago, because it is so much more sensitive like this. And I'll explain why in a little bit. There's other, there's also some other stuff that I do uh, throughout the chain that I normally do that I won't go into here. But just the preamp is just blasting out the gain. That's it. So let's go on to the next part of the chain. Let's turn on the EQ. All right, so now the EQ is on. And already I feel like I can get a little bit louder. Um, I feel like I'm not gonna clip as much because I do have uh, some of the frequencies set and I do have a low cut. So the plane that you heard earlier would be a lot quieter because of that low cut. Um, any of the frequencies below about 80 hertz get just killed. Okay, so this is a dedicated DBX 32 band equalizer. This is hardware, right? There is a mixer or is an EQ on the mixer itself, but it's just a little three band and it doesn't provide the same kind of control. So I use this mainly to remove some of the room noise and that's a little bit of a de-esser, which goes towards removing that sibilance, the S sound in the voice. Uh, doesn't completely eliminate it, but it reduces it a little bit. Okay, so now that we've got the audio kind of sounding the way we want it to, I'll turn on the compressor limiter gate now, and then I'll tell you what it does. Okay, so now I've got the gate, the compressor, the limiter, all of that on. What does it do? Okay, <laughs> this is, there's a lot that goes on in this little, uh, this little bit of hardware, so I'm gonna try, try to give you a good, uh, good little rundown of what happens. So this is, uh, this is going through a, Be a Behringer Multicom Pro XL, a 4600. It's a four band compressor limiter gate which means you can have four different inputs and outputs running through it. Let's start with the gate. The gate is actually pretty much what it sounds like. The, uh, the gate allows signal above a certain volume level to get through. And when it's below a certain volume level, the gate closes or mutes, basically. That way, when you're speaking, like I am now, you get recorded. But when you're not, and maybe there's some room noise or a truck driving by or an airplane, uh, the volume is not as loud as this is, and therefore it gets muted. So, see, nothing. And it's not that there's no noise in this room, there is. It's just the gate recognizes that it is below a certain volume level and it goes mute. There's also a limiting aspect to this, this piece of hardware. And limiting basically prevents spikes in the volume that can cause your audio to clip. And essentially what clipping is, is that the signal is so hot, it's so loud, that it loses data, right? That it goes all the way up as far as it can go, and anything else that is higher than that just gets lost. So clipping is bad. You don't want to clip. And you can tell when something is clipping because if you look at the waveform, the lines on the waveform will be all the way up to the very top then you don't want that. So limiting stops that from happening. The compressor, okay, let me see if I can explain this. It's kind of hard to, to get your head around. Let's say that you have a pretty large range in your vocal volume. 
Okay, you tend to speak quietly, but then you can get really loud. The problem is, for the quiet parts to be recorded properly, the loud parts end up clipping. The compressor helps stop this from happening. Basically, you can say for every X number of decibels, which is what volume is uh, measured in, for every X number of decibels over a certain volume level that I go, I want to turn the volume down. Now, how much you turn it down depends on what ratio you choose. Okay, so for, and this is just for the sake of the math here, let's say you set the threshold, the point at which the compressor turns on, at 0 dB, and your ratio is set to 2 to 1. So if your volume goes up 20 dB, the compressor kicks in at 0 and brings it down to 10 dB. See? So for every 2 decibels the volume goes up, the compressor only allows for 1 decibel of increase. So how about if the threshold is 0 and you go up to 24 and you have a ratio of 4 to 1? Right. For every 4 the volume increases, the compressor allows for only 1. So while you're actually producing 24 dB of volume, the amount of increase passed through the compressor is only 6. 4 to 1. So 4 to 1 is actually a pretty standard compression level for vocals, uh, but you're encouraged to play around with this, you know, with your own voice and your environment. You might need something different. It's up to you. Why would we do this? Well, again, it allows for you to still sound like your voice has that great dynamic range, as they call it, so you can sound like you're being very loud, or you can sound like you're being very quiet. And while you actually are while you're recording that, the volume that gets passed through and recorded isn't going to be too loud, isn't going to be too quiet, but you still get the feeling of that vocal range. This is, again, especially good for quiet speakers. So you can crank the gain, the mic sensitivity, and then when they laugh or get loud, you don't blow your signal out. Now, all of this gets fed into the mixer. And this is just my setup. So it gets fed into the mixer which then passes it onto the computer or recording device. Simple as that. I do some simple cleanup in posts, like removing some noise that does make it through or uh, doing some loudness matching between tracks, like if I have a guest on and they're just recorded quieter than I am, for example. Uh, but other than that, everything I do happens in the hardware. The main pro for doing it like this, it's instant. I can change things on the fly, I know what knobs to twiddle and whatnot. But also if I'm teaching or I'm in a meeting or something like that, I can get the same benefits in that setting as I do in this one. As for the cons, well, it's destructive. By that I mean when the signal finally makes it to the computer or the recorder or whatever, it's been permanently changed. There is no going back. A pure signal going into the computer or the recorder that, that's edited with all these same effects in post can be recovered if a mistake is made. So that's a concern, sure. Another con is that all these bits of hardware do take up space and cost money. I mean, you can usually find you know, the rack equipment, like I use the preamp, the EQ, the compressor. You can find these used at like media exchanges and instrument shops, or even online. And they're, they're pretty serviceable used. They still work well, typically. I mean, all of my rack equipment is used except for the mixer. And I know this sounds like a lot, and 
it kind of is if you just try to jump into everything all at once. But if you grow slowly, identify your needs as they come up, and make smart decisions at the beginning, like making purchases that give you room to grow, you'll do just fine. I should mention that this setup is also appropriate for a home studio for, like, musicians or singers. Not just for someone who talks at people for a living. Of course, your environment is also a large factor in what kind of quality you're going to get, even if you have top-notch equipment. Moving your computer and its noisy fan out of the way is helpful. Turning off your ceiling fan, closing windows, doors, picking a not-noisy time of day to record in. Preferably not having planes fly over when you're recording. All these things make it easier for you in the long run, but other than that, it's just technique and experience. Nothing is more important than just sitting down and doing it.